Good morning, Redeemer. How's everybody doing this morning? If you're a Redeemerite, it's great to see you. If you are a friend of a Redeemerite, it's great to see you. Thank you for being a guest in this house this evening. Uh, Maybe this is the first time that you've ever been to a church. If that's you, uh, congratulations on overcoming things like the snooze button. I don't know about you, but some of the most busy and hectic mornings for me is a Sunday morning, trying to rally the troops, get the car loaded, and get here to this church place with a smile on our faces. So you've done well. Thanks for being here this morning. I pray that your time is worthy of this investment. We are starting this morning the third week of Advent. It's not only celebrated in this church, but in churches, plural. And we are in our series at this church, uh, we've titled it the Born Series, the third week in the Born Series. Uh, Two weeks ago, Joe came and spoke with us about when creation was born. Uh, This idea that God initiated creation and his plan has been unfolding ever since, even till today. Last week, Adam talked to us about the idea of trust, uh, using and leveraging the story of Abraham and Isaac. And if you've missed any of those messages, feel free to check us out online. This is my online plug, rcctulsa.org. We have a sermon archive. So if you've missed any of those, I encourage you to go and take a listen. This morning, I get the privilege of speaking with you about hope. Now, if you spoke or asked the question to a, a handful of people, hey, give me your definition of hope, I'm sure you would get all kinds of different responses. For me growing up, this idea of hope was pretty synonymous with this idea of what I was wishing for. Wishful thinking, hope, really closely tied together. So I would say things like, I hope Dallas wins the Super Bowl, which isn't that a question you Dallas fans, what are they, 11 and 1? You're closer now than you've been in some time, so congratulations. My youngest daughter, Uh, Ever since she experienced our first Christmas back and it snowed on Christmas morning, she hopes that it will snow again this Christmas. That is something that she hopes for. I hope I get all my shopping done. Are you guys finished with your Christmas Day shopping? I'm seeing more of this. No, I hope for you and I hope for myself that we actually get our Christmas shopping done. Now, as a kid growing up, uh, this idea of wishful thinking and hope for me um, was tightly rooted in the person of Santa Claus. Santa Claus, for me, would execute pretty much without fail. I would make a list of things that uh, I was hoping that Santa would uh, wrap and put under my tree, and without fail, for the most part, that's exactly what Santa Claus would do. He would take that list, and he would fulfill all of my desires on that list, and, and really, it's my mom. She's crazy when it comes to, uh, to, to Christmas. I mean, she pulls out all kinds of boxes from the attic. And I remember just uh, putting things everywhere. Every room had a tree, and there was garland everywhere. It was a little tacky, uh, but that's just how we did Christmas at my house. And I'm here to tell you that we kind of, uh, some of that, has, that traditional has persisted even with my own kids. They, too, submit their lists and as parents, we hope to give our kids the things that they're, uh, they're hoping for, right? My youngest daughter in the mail, which I need to get on the do not mail list, they mail those catalogs. Do you get those catalogs in the mail with all of those things that my daughter... So she goes with a, with a Sharpie, and she circles like 40 or 50 different things that she wants from Santa Claus, and then she just kind of submits that to us, and we take it. As a parent, I, I, I want to get those things for our kids. I mean, I think we all want to give those things to our children, But Christmas, historically speaking, uh, has been more challenging at times to get the perfect gift for our kids. It's a simple economics of supply and demand. 
when the demand exceeds that of supply, you've got a problem on your hands. Like in 1996, does anyone recall what this character is in 1996 that everybody needed? What is it? Tickle me, Elmo. And this little thing would roll around on the carpet, and he would have this, what, what starts out as a fairly cute laugh. You're like, oh, that's really cute. And it has a voice. And, and then after about the 50th time, you want to accidentally step on Tickle Me Elmo. And like, Oops, I'm sorry. We don't have to listen to that anymore. But Tickle Me Elmo, it was hard to find. They could not keep this thing stocked because the minute it was on the shelf, it came flying off of the shelf. In fact, Wikipedia, if you go and look at Wikipedia, uh, they claim that uh, there was a store clerk in a Walmart. Doors open. They just got a new shipment of Tickle Me Elmo. Word spread. 300 very eager customers <laughs> come storming down the aisle. It's a stampede. This poor clerk got trampled. He got trampled. Listen to some of these injuries. Pulled hamstring, injuries to his back, jaw, knee, broken rib, and a concussion being trampled by these 300 eager customers to get this Tickle Me Elmo. There was one um, desperate person in Denver who shelled out $7,100 for that. It's impressive. Another one, in 1999, this one didn't really capture my heart nearly as much as Tickle Me Elmo, but anybody know what this is? Furby. Not to be confused with Fergie. Okay, Furby was this kind of this mashup mix between uh, an owl and what is that? A hamster, maybe? An owl and a hamster? Um, this one, again, didn't really catch the attention of my family, um, but 14 million Furbies were sold in 1999. That, that's a lot of Furbies. It's interesting in that what we put, if we're putting our hope in an outcome, it, it, it works out really well, and our hope works for us if, we, it, if we're getting the things that we expect to get. We hope for this, we get it, accomplished, it's done. But what about if we're hoping for things that don't come to fruition? That's one thing if you don't get your Furby or you don't get your Tickle Me Elmo, but what if it's, what if it's deeper things, bigger things? that you're hoping for, for, and you've been praying about for a certain outcome that don't come to, to, to fruition. Personal things, deep things. And what happens when it's like, God, um, I, I, we've been in this season for a while, and I'm looking for an out. And, and, and I've been praying about this, and I'm not, just, I'm not feeling a sense of relief. I'm not even necessarily feeling a sense that you're anywhere to be found. Do you care? What, what happens to our hope and the impact that our hope has when those things that we really desire are not coming to pass. What happens when we get diagnosed with cancer? What happens to our hope then? Or only to find out that the cancer has yet returned to us after a season of celebration, what happens to our hope then? Or the many prayers that we pray on behalf of other people that we love and we care about, and yet, our observation after a long, committed time of praying for them, we not only see things haven't changed, but all, all of a sudden, like, things are starting to regress a little bit. What happens to our hope in those times? Or a marriage that you feel like you've been fighting for and fighting for, and it's not getting any better. Or a marriage that you fought for, and it ended, and you're trying to figure out how to do life all over again. Where's our hope? What happens to our hope in those times? How do we maintain hopefulness when our circumstances are anything but hopeful? What do we do? 
We're going to be reading and hopefully answering this question by taking a look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5. There's a Bible underneath your seat or the seat in front of you. If you didn't bring one, that's okay. If you've got a phone app, go ahead and pull that up. It's uh, in the Red Bible. It's page 1587. Give you guys a chance to find that real quickly. And just as you're looking, uh, Luke was written by Luke. How appropriate. And he tells us that he investigated these things from the very beginning. So he has looked into this. He has spoken with the eyewitness accounts. And he feels like he has put together a very concise chronological account of what it is that others have seen and he himself has seen and witnessed. Starting in verse 5. Reads this. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were, hold on to this, righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive because they were both very, and sorry, they were both very old in age. I know some that have struggled with this idea of infertility, not this idea, but this reality of infertility. It is a very difficult journey. It's a difficult journey for those experiencing this now. And it was a difficult journey, those that experienced it 2,000 years ago. And I would submit that even for them back in biblical times, it was even more challenging because of the negative social stigma associated with women not being able to conceive a child. Socially speaking, women that could not conceive a child were considered to be, and it's even hard to say, a disgrace. The assumption was that if a woman was infertile, that she did something to, to cause this in her own life. That God some way cursed her because of the sin or some sort of a depraved lifestyle, and that somehow she probably deserved what it is that she got. Furthermore, the husband had the, he had options, okay? The husband could either uh, stay married and committed, but then take on another wife to have children with somebody else. That was an option. Another option that wasn't, that was a little more challenging and difficult if you were the, the, the female in this instance, is that uh, you would be divorced outright. Maybe with a little compensation and be sent on your way. Let me just say that Zachariah is a bro. He's a bro. He's like a man's man. What does it mean to be a man? Check out Zachariah. Zachariah, what did he do? He opted for an option that very few did, and he stuck with his wife. He maintained his faithfulness to the wife. He didn't bring on another wife. He didn't leave her. He stayed committed in this relationship with her. He chose to stay. It's awesome. He chose to stay. Continuing on in verse 8, it says, One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for this was his duty that week. It was the custom of the priests, which he was, and he was the one that was chosen to enter into the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was burning, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now here you go. One of his priestly duties, uh, at one point, there was a lot of priests. And through the time of being a priest, you had one shot, an opportunity to go into this holy place uh, and pray and burn incense on behalf of the people. And this is Zechariah's one shot. 
I'm sure he was super excited about it, asked other priests that had had this opportunity to say, hey, what do I expect? What'd you do? How do I do what you did and all those different? He's ready to go though. He's super excited to go into this place, burn incense and pray for the needs of all those people that were out there. And let me say that the needs were great at the time. Israel was being oppressed by the Roman Empire and had been that way for a while. They'd been promised a Messiah. And I'm sure Zechariah, praying on behalf of the people, prayed for the Messiah. But at no time would he ever have prayed a selfish prayer because he understood the responsibilities, the weight that was placed on his shoulders to pray for those people. It's pretty awesome. Number, uh, verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed. Wouldn't you be? I, uh, one minute he's in there by himself, and all of a sudden he's accompanied by an angel. That would, that would freak some people out. But the angel of the Lord said, Zechariah, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. Wow, that's I'm sure Zechariah, in that split second that he had time to think about that, he was probably thinking, what, what prayer exactly is this angel of the Lord referring to? Is it the Messiah? Is it possibly now that the oppression no longer is going to continue under the Roman authorities? What, what exactly did he hear me pray in this time that I've been praying? Then the angel lays a bombshell in Zechariah's life. Bomb goes off. The angel Lord says this, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. Well, just a second angel of the Lord. First of all, I would never pray for myself selfishly like that because again, I've been praying for the people. I, I wouldn't have prayed that prayer. I'm, I'm deeply confused and conflicted. Furthermore, I have not prayed that prayer in years. My wife and I have not prayed that prayer in years. Now, to your credit, there was a time that we prayed that prayer every single day. Every single day, we were faithfully committed to praying for a child, especially when all of our friends were having kids. And then we kind of, when our kids, when their kids started having kids, we kind of started praying that same prayer. There was a season angel of the Lord, where that's all we basically prayed for ourselves. And we assumed, based on the quietness in the response, that the answer was a no. And so we've accepted the fact that it's a no. We've come to grips with that reality, that it was a no. The angel of the Lord, verses 14 through 17, he just starts laying it on really thick now. It's like, turn up the fire hydrant and drink, Zechariah. Listen to this. Your son is going to be great. Everybody's going to know who John is. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah. Think about Zechariah. Whoa, you are blowing my world. My, I can't even absorb all these things that you're saying to me. So Zechariah has, he's compelled to ask a question for clarity, right? Do you ever see clarity? It's like, well, just a second, hold on. Let me, that, it's the act of listening thing. Let me tell you what I just heard you say. Can we, just so that there's no misunderstandings. Zechariah said to the angel, are you, are you sure about this? I'm an old man and my wife is also advanced in her years. 
The angel didn't like this. We see in verse 20 that he like slapped a gag order on poor Zachariah. He couldn't speak until John was actually born. He didn't appreciate the question. But I don't blame Zachariah for asking the question for clarity purposes. Could you? I think any good husband's like, I kind of want to protect my wife in this. Because if for some reason I get this wrong, I do not want that emotional turmoil because my wife has come to grips with this very difficult reality. And I want to be sure that I'm sure that I'm sure that she's going to have a child and we're to name him John. He just wanted some clarification on that. It's incredible as we read this account that Zachariah and Elizabeth, over years of not getting what they wanted, of God not working out the outcome in which they really had a heart's desire about, and they didn't receive these things, that they remained faithful, that their relationship with the Lord never wavered. That's remarkable. Look back at verse 6. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. That was kind of their life mantra, even through this very difficult season that they were coming out of. My friends, biblical hope, that's what we're reading about right now, is this idea of biblical hope. And it is different than this hope of this wishful thinking, this outcome-centered hope that I had associated myself for so long. Biblical hope is vastly different. Biblical hope gives us certainty, strong confidence and expectation rooted not in what it is that we think we want or what we think we should have, but it's rooted rather in a God who says truth to us in this thing called Scripture. We are rooted in a God who says and is who he says he is, and he has truth for us. Look at Psalms 37, 34. It says this, put your hope in the Lord, period. The Lord and he alone is worthy of your hope and my hope, that we just take our hopefulness and we just park it right there with him. And then the confidence comes from, this confidence of the biblical hope comes from God's promises, as I just mentioned. There is promises in Scripture that he has for people that have committed their lives to walking with him. Look at this, Isaiah 55, 8, 9. This is just a helpful reminder for us. God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, they're greater than your thoughts. Some of us just need to come to grips with that. And I know it's hard. We want all the answers, right? We want all the I's dotted, the T's crossed, and sometimes we just won't understand what's going on in our world, but God does. He understands. And furthermore, according to Romans 8, 28, that we know that God causes all things to work for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes, Deuteronomy 31.8, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you, he will be with you, he will never fail you, he will never abandon you. You, even in this Christmas season where some of us look back and it's not what it used to be and you feel alone, God says, you are not alone. I would never abandon you. I'm with you always. 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxiety, all your troubles, all the stuff that we can't figure out, that we wrestle with, that causes sleepless nights. God says, give it to me. Why? 
First Peter 5, 7, because he cares. Because God intimately cares about the things that are concerning to you. And he says, stop struggling with that and give it to me. Let me take that from you and have this amazing transaction in which I extend peace back to you. Peace that surpasses understanding and you can't even speak about it with your friends because you don't even get it yourself. And he has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future, Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm gonna introduce a friend this morning. Her name's Tiffany Smiling. She's not here in person. Uh, she's, she had to travel out of town. I met Tiffany uh, many years ago, probably two, three years ago. We were doing a fundraiser. I'm the student uh, director, student ministry for high school, and we were doing a fundraising event to raise money for uh, some missions. We were doing some Guatemala missions, and so we did this event called Cinco de Bando. Get five bands together, and we kind of partner with local businesses. She was the owner of, uh, of Orange Leaf at the time. Had some really cool interaction with her, but I just was, yeah, you ever meet those people that you're just superly impressed with? Like, that, like that's, that's, that's a unique individual. And the, the other thought I had was, and she's so young. Wow, that, it's amazing. Years go by. Uh, Tiffany and I got reacquainted not too long ago. They're going to be doing an event in here, and Redeemer's going to be uh, helping sponsor and help out that event here and hosting it here at Redeemer. So we got to have some conversations, and I got to learn a little bit more about her story. And now I know why she is as amazing as she came across, because I've got to know a little bit more about her. And I want to share some of that with you. And, and this is such a small snippet of her overall story. I wish we had more time to talk about it. But it encapsulates so beautifully for us the difference between this wishful, outcome-centered hope to a biblical God-centered hope. Please turn your attention to the screens. Until I was in the fourth grade, life was very normal, if maybe even um, above normal. There was never any circumstances that were difficult too much for us. I mean, besides the regular family circumstances. I was really young when everything started, so he, God definitely transform my faith through the whole entire journey. I think he taught me things as a little girl that now I grew into um, as I was growing up on my faith. And I think through our trials and circumstances that God's always teaching us. He's always teaching us more and more to be like him. I would never know him as um, provider until I needed him to provide. Or I would never know him as my healer until I was so sick that I needed healing. And I think as we go through trials and trials in our life, that he's constantly proving himself to us more and more. When I was 10 years old, I started having seizures. We were on a family vacation in Colorado, and I had a weird feeling go down my left side of my body. And we went doctor to doctor trying to figure out what was going on. As we started getting into doctors, they started realizing I had epilepsy, first of all, from the seizures, but they couldn't figure out how, what exactly was causing me to have them. Everywhere we went were continuous negative reports, and we ended up finding out that I had brain cancer. And it was a really rare form of brain cancer because it was two different types of cancer in one, and it was surrounding my motor strip, making it really hard for doctors to get in there and operate. 
In fact, there was one point we sat in the room with the head neurosurgeon of MD Anderson and he only gave us three months to live. And the doctor there sent my parents home and told them celebrate her birthday like it's her last because if she makes it to that point that it will be a significant celebration. We ended up having our, my first brain surgery at St. Jude's and then I had two more at St. Jude's. Um, my sixth grade, my seventh grade, and my eighth grade year. Beforehand, I found, when I found myself in hopeless situations, at first I would cry out to the Lord and I would find myself in a very vulnerable spot of God, why would this happen to me? God, I feel like I'm pursuing you and maybe not everyone around me is pursuing you the way I'm pursuing you. Why am I always going through the trials or why am I always in this spot? And when you find yourself looking at the external circumstances, um, it's really hard to see hope in the moment sometimes. But what God showed me was that He's more focused on what's going on in us internally, and what He's doing in my life is more important to Him than what is going on externally around me. I was actually released from St. Jude's last year, so I've been a I've been a patient there um, on their program for 10 years now. So I'm completely cancer-free, completely dismissed. So God is so good and faithful in that. Um, I still go back for checkups just to stay current and stay on top of it, but I don't. I speak a lot on behalf of um, them as well now because it is a miracle story of what God did. As a child in need, I had a heart for children that were also in need. And I started hearing more about orphans and how many orphans are around the world. and how many children are sick and sleep on the street every night and with no one to care for them and no one to hope for them. And God revealed to me that as I was once a child in need, how his heart also breaks for the children around the world that are in need. And so I started building homes for orphan children um, a few years ago as a way to go into the darkness and bring the light the way the Lord has shone a light in my life and he's allowed me to experience just so many different things in the past five years. God is so good to bring full circle the things in our life that once were the thing that left us hopeless and now they're the areas where we get to bring hope to the hopeless. If I could go back and change anything about my past, if you asked me in it, I would have said yes for sure, but on the other side of it, no way. There's just things that you learn when you're going through those things, and there's um, lessons you learn. I'm sorry. And you, you learn how faithful God is. And that's something I never want to change. Tiffany has gone through years and years of therapy to appear normal. There were significant parts of her brain that were damaged by the cancer and by the surgery. There's a part of her brain that has to overcompensate for those areas that were damaged. She has to think about dexterity and things that we don't even think about. It takes great thought for her. She loves to jog and she continues to jog, but when she jogs, she has to think and tell the left side of her body, her foot particularly, heel, toe, heel, toe, heel, toe, because if she doesn't, she would fall. The mundane things that we don't even think about takes her great effort and you would never know it. But I could tell you by the end of her day, 
you talk about feeling exhausted. And yet she wouldn't change a thing. She would not change a thing. This morning, I want to give us some space to respond, whatever that might be for you. In what ways might God call, be calling you to move from an outcome-driven perspective of hope to a biblical, God-centered perspective of hope? Maybe it's leveraging something in your past that you assume forget or that still creates anxiety for you? Could God be asking you to leverage that to be a blessing and bring hope to a world, friends, and you know this as well as I do, this world desperately needs people of genuine biblical hope to roll up your sleeves, get in the game, and make a difference on God's behalf. Let me pray for us and we'll enter in this time together. God, we give you permission to speak to our hearts in this time where it's just with you and us. Father, what areas are you challenging us to just let go and step forward in this understanding of a hope that is rooted and grounded and tightly tethered to you and your promises. Join us in this space, Jesus. We love you.